on the virtual Bible study tonight, we're going to talk about the subject of baptism. It's a subject that we've discussed many times in the past. We keep looking for new ways to examine this old Bible subject because sadly, unfortunately, it continues to be a very controversial subject in the religious world. So again tonight, we're going to look at baptism, this time by reviewing 13 objections that people sometimes offer to baptism. Stay with us for this important study on the Virtual Bible Study. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 931- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and welcome to the virtual bible study this is the virtual bible study for thursday september 30th 2021 Welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. We look forward to you joining us and participating with us as we look to God's Word. My name is Greg Gwynn. I'm one of the regular hosts of this program, but if you're a frequent observer of the program, you recognize I'm not in my typical spot. I'm where Jacob usually sits. Jacob is out of pocket tonight, and so I'm sitting in his chair uh, trying to control this uh, uh, rather elaborate board here and make sure everything's working. I don't always get that done very well, but I'm trying. Sitting in my useless chair is my good friend and brother, Monty Overton. Monty, welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. Thank you, Greg. It's good to be here. And uh, behind the big control panel, as he typically is, is our good brother, Kyle Barnes. Kyle, welcome. It's good to be here. All right. So for the virtual Bible study tonight, we found a an article written by a preacher that I'm sure some of our uh, listeners probably know or know of, Dave Miller. He, he's, he's written quite extensively on a number of subjects. And he had an essay entitled, 13 Objections to Baptism. Now, they, they're they not his objections because he believes in the necessity of baptism as we do. We believe that baptism is uh, baptism for the remission of sins is essential to one's salvation. And this Dave Miller believes that as well. But he has constructed what he understands to be 13 common objections to what the Bible teaches about baptism. All of these presented in in an argument to try and claim that one does not need to be baptized to be saved. And so uh, we posted the link uh, to our uh, to this article. We had it included in our email that we sent out to our update list earlier today. And we're gonna we're gonna tackle this list. I've, I've got a suspicion that we probably won't get done, and probably have to cover carry this. Uh, uh, study over to next week as well. But we're going to dive in and start talking about these. Uh, but just first, Monty, uh, are you as frustrated as I typically am that we have to keep talking about baptism when the Bible seems to be so clear about it? Well, it does seem the Bible does seem to be very clear about it. I don't understand why people object so bad to it. I mean, if, it's not like God asked us to climb Mount Everest barefoot and blindfolded or yeah. something like that. Yeah. He just asks us to be baptized, yeah. and it's a simple process. It only takes a minute or two to get it done. Uh, 
most places nowadays they've got clothes you don't even have to bring your own clothes to be baptized in they've got all everything to make it as simple as possible for you there there's a warm baptistry you don't even get cold it's not like took out to the river in the middle of the winter and bust the ice out of a pool <laughs> so you can pe- be people, baptized. People, but did people that. have done that. Yeah, people have done that, but we don't have to do that anymore. So for us today especially, I don't understand why people will object to it because it's a simple thing to do. And for for having rendered yourself in submissive to that act of obedience to God's will, the reward is so great. I mean, yeah. we would do a whole lot less for a whole lot less. We would do a whole lot more for a whole lot lesser physical reward. So this is a, phys, a spiritual eternal reward. So why would we not do anything God asks us to do? Yeah, it, it, that's a, that's kind of an interesting example that you. So let's say that the car dealer down here, the, the Ford dealership down here, uh, said that if you will walk barefoot from your house to the dealership tomorrow morning and be here at 6 a.m., we'll give you a brand new car. Well, I live about 10 miles out, but I'd be inclined to try that, to walk 10 miles barefoot and get there early in the morning. It'd be brutal agony. It'd be brutal, but it's a new car. <laughs> you know, I'd kind of like to get that new car. And as you say, this is so much more than that. So much, and, and, mm-hmm. and he hasn't asked us to walk barefoot ten mm-hmm. miles. So it's just it's just an incredible thing that people want to object to it. I I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, you can participate with us on the virtual Bible study tonight by uh, sending us an email questions at collegeu dot com. Got Monty monitoring the email inbox, so if anything comes in, he'll be watching for that. Monty's also monitoring our chat room window, uh, and you can get in there, give yourself a a, a, a name, your real name, or a pen name. And uh, so you can contribute by way of comments in the chat room. And Monty will be watching for those comments in the chat room as well as we dive into this study uh, about baptism and objections to baptism. You can also give us a call, although I'm not sure we've got our phone lines working exactly accurately. But you can try it if you want. 931-381-4567. So we sent these. Uh, we sent the link to the article and these objections, 13 of them, to our email update list earlier today. If you're not on our list, we always tell you, get on our list by sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Just say, add me to the list. And if you were on the list, you got these objections. We're not going to read them all uh, initially. We'll just go to them one at a time. And the first one listed was this. Jesus could not have been baptized for the remission of sins because he was sinless. Therefore, people today are not baptized in order to be forgiven. They merely imitate Jesus's example. So where are we going to start on that, Monty? So I guess we would have to start by doing the obvious thing, and that is agreeing that Jesus was not baptized for remission of sins. I agree with that completely. Jesus was sinless, and I'm not sinless. So therefore, it's not an apples to apples comparison there to say, well, because he was sinless, my situation is the same. My situation was not the same. Yeah, I, I was a sinner when I was baptized, uh, so I needed my sins forgiven. Uh, to me, one of the points to that question is when John was debating with Jesus about it, saying well, you need to baptize me instead of me baptizing you. Jesus said, "Permit it for now to fulfill all righteousness." Yeah. So what he's telling me is being baptized, even for him, was the right thing to do. That was righteous, means right actions. It was the right action for him to do. 
So I have to believe that if Jesus had not been baptized, then that would have been a sin because then he wouldn't have fulfilled it. He wouldn't have done what was the right thing to do. So he had to be baptized in order to maintain that sinless state. Yes, he was an example for us, and we need to imitate his examples. But the commands he gave and that the apostles later taught about it was that baptism is for forgiveness of sins. It's for remission of sins. John's baptism was a baptism of remission of sins also. Yeah. Uh, uh, Mark 1, verse 4. Mark 1, verse 4. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And so the people who were coming to him were sinners Mm -hmm. who needed remission of sins. As you pointed out, when Jesus showed up, for John's baptism, John objected initially. Matthew three verse thirteen. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him, but John forbade him, saying, "I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me?" And Jesus answering unto him said, "Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness." Then he, John, suffered him, Jesus, and was and he was baptized. Uh, so. John said, John recognized the reality of the situation. Mm -hmm. He recognized that he was a sinner. Jesus wasn't. It seemed to him that it'd be more appropriate for Jesus to baptize him than for him to baptize Jesus. Uh, And and I think we we would surely make the same objection. You got to appreciate that John was objecting in a reasonable way. But Jesus' answer to him was, it behooves us to it becomes us, rather, he says, to fulfill all righteousness. Righteousness is just doing what's right. Mm-hmm. And Jesus said, we need to do this because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And John accepted that. John suffered him and baptized it, baptized him. So John understood the answer and the response and baptized Jesus because it was the right thing mm-hmm. to do. But in regards to us, we are not in that same category mm-hmm. that Jesus was in. We ought to do it because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Sure, that's 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 understandable. But we are in need of the remission of sins. And so when Acts 2.38 says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, we need that. We need the remission of sins. And that's why we're being baptized we we imitate Jesus in the extent that you do what's right because it's the right because it's the right thing to do. We don't imitate him uh, in the sense of not needing to be baptized because of sinlessness. We're sinners, mm-hmm. and so there's not a parallel there, as you point out. Yeah, it's just it's just not an apples to apples comparison. Uh, when we there's just not any way we can compare ourselves to Jesus favorably. I mean, we're so far down beneath him, and he's so majestically far above us it's just not a comparison and so we can't say well we're just doing it like this question suggested no we're doing it to have our sins washed away because we desperately need that yeah exactly right so if 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 we were sinless then we might have an argument here but since we're not then the, the parallel breaks down well if we were sinless we would still need to do it, as Jesus said, yeah. because to fulfill all righteousness, it's the right thing to do. We would still have to do it in order to maintain that state of sinlessness. Yeah. So either way, we've got to do it because it's a command of God. Exactly right. Exactly right. Uh, and and so, again, trying to draw a conclusion based upon the fact that Jesus didn't need forgiveness of sins 
doesn't work for us. Kyle, any thoughts on that? No, that's good. It's open and shut there. Yeah, I, I, good, good. I think that's a good way to put it, open and shut. All right. The next one, and we, we can get started into this next one, but we may not get done before the break. The next one, objection number two, was the thief on the cross was not baptized and he was saved. Initial observations on that. Uh, well, my initial observation is I don't know that the thief on the cross hadn't been baptized by John as far as that goes. Uh, the Bible doesn't mention it that he was. It doesn't mention he wasn't. There seems to me to be a good chance that he had been baptized because there's places in the New Testament talks about all Israel was coming out to be baptized by John. So I would say that probably because of that description, it doesn't mean everybody because we know that the Jewish leaders weren't. But there was a good chance that the thief yeah. had 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 heard John's teaching and been baptized Mark, by him. Mark 1, verse 5, There went out unto John all the land of Judea mm-hmm. and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So it was there, there was a, a, a mass of people mm-hmm. who were baptized by John. Could we prove that that the thief on the cross was among them? I can't no. prove that he was, but I can't prove that he wasn't. Can't prove that he wasn't either. So, so that's not really an argument that we can make, that we've yeah. no evidence in play to suggest that he had not been baptized. But it says, and he was saved. So they object, well, the thief wasn't baptized and he was saved. Uh, well, let's make stop there for just a minute. Let's make, it, uh, let's make a point that maybe some people might be surprised for us to hear us say, I believe that he was saved. Believe, Absolutely. I, you know, you know, well, yeah, but he, you know, you, somebody might quibble. Well, he was a thief and blah, blah, blah. No, I believe when Jesus said to him, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise is a clear indication that the man was saved. Mm-hmm. So he was saved. Now, the question is, can we be saved like the thief on the cross? This question, this objection says the thief on the cross was not baptized. We're not sure of that, but we know, we do know he was saved. And we want to talk about how he was saved. We're going to have to grab a break before we do that. When we come back, let's talk about how the thief on the cross was saved and could we be saved that same way. We're going to come back to that right after this break. Stick with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Here's a quick thought. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Psalm 119, verses 1 and 2. Are you determined to walk according to God's ways today, to keep his testimonies? They can only be found in his word. When you seek him with all your heart, there is blessing. Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Our choices show what we truly are, far more than our abilities. When you have to make a choice and don't make it, that is in itself a choice. How can you explain the clockwork of the universe without a clockmaker? Man, wish I'd said that. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And we're back on the virtual Bible study. We're talking about objections to baptism that are sometimes raised. And we're talking about a really common one right here, Monty, about the thief on the cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, so could, the way it, it is usually worded is, I just choose to be saved like the thief on the cross. And in reality, in fact, that's not possible. I can't be saved like the thief on the cross was saved. No, because his 
Well, first off, I don't want to be saved like he was. I have no desire to be crucified. <laughs> I mean, he he went through a lot to get to where he was. Uh, so I, I'm, that doesn't appeal to me. Uh, but that's not an option for me. That's not in the plan that God has given for me as a Christian after the day of Pentecost to be saved. Uh, it's, it, the, the plan doesn't include that. So another thing, when we study the New Testament, we see there was other places where Jesus told people their sins were forgiven. So Jesus had the power on earth, and one of the places he 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 done a miracle afterwards and healed a man to demonstrate that he had the power on earth to forgive sins. So this thief fit into that same category as the other people that he told their sins was forgiven. He had the power right then. He was still on earth to forgive that man of his sins as he hung on the cross. Because that man was uh, making confession of him because he said, you know, we're being crucified because we deserve it, but this man hadn't done anything wrong. He recognized that he had the power, that he was the Son of God, and was basically confessing that and asking for help in that respect. So Jesus granted what he asked for. Jesus could do that at that time. Yeah, but Jesus isn't here on the earth that's now. That's the key. That's and he key. set a plan in place that has to be followed now that doesn't even include him individually forgiving sins like that, short of completing the, what we read about the rest of the qualifications we'd have to meet to be saved. Okay, good point. Uh, just an example of what you were saying. You know, uh, people people want to point out the thief on the cross, Jesus forgave mm-hmm. the thief on the cross as you said jesus forgave the sins of other people there's an there's a recorded instance in mark chapter 2 for instance you remember this is the where some fellows came carrying a man who was a paralytic mm-hmm. or who, sick of the palsy i think the king james says and there were so many people around the house where jesus was they couldn't get they couldn't get this sick guy to jesus to have a miracle and so they got up on the roof and they pulled the roof back and they dropped him down through the roof you we, mm-hmm. we remember that story and in Mark chapter 2, verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, that is the faith of the men who got up on the roof and let him down, when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Well, of course, that raised the objection of the Jews who were watching, and then Jesus performed the miracle. In other words, the miracle, he, he performed the miracle of healing to show that he did have the power to forgive sins, mm-hmm. basically. But that's just one example, and there are others, wherein Jesus did forgive sins of people directly while he was here to do that. And in fact, and, and in fact that's what he did to the thief on the cross. He was still here. He was still alive. He was still on earth. He's right there in the immediate presence mm-hmm. with the thief on the cross, and he forgives his sins. It says, this day, thou shalt be with me in paradise. <clears throat> the equivalent to that, Monty, is... That if you, of course, it, uh, <coughs> I think the analogy breaks down a little bit here because, you know, we're not rich men. But let's say uh, that I was a multimillionaire. And uh, so that's a little hard to imagine. But <laughs> say that I wasn't. And so here we sit tonight and I said, Monty, I'm just going to give you a million dollars. I could do that. Yeah. But let's say that I died tonight when I went home. And tomorrow you show up and you say, I came to get a million dollars. Greg said that I could have a million dollars. Now, now, <coughs> because now I'm dead. And mm-hmm. the only way you can get the million dollars after I die is if I've included you in my will. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what we have with the thief. He he received a blessing while Jesus is still alive. After Jesus is dead, the only way to get the blessing is to fulfill the conditions of his will and testament. Yeah. 
You know, the Hebrew writer even said that in Hebrews chapter 9. <coughs> Excuse me, got a tickle. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 16, where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, there it is of no strength uh, at all while the testator liveth. Yeah. And so what, what we have here is the will and testament of Jesus. And to receive the blessing now, since he's not here in person to deliver it to us, got to meet the conditions of the will. You know, and that's a, that's a simple concept that we can all understand. So the thief on the cross, as we talked a minute ago, that's not an apples to apples comparison to, to our situation yeah. now. So we can't do whatever we do. We can't justify based on what Jesus did with him. Yeah. And and really, it doesn't matter whether the thief was or wasn't baptized. He got it's a direct. Irrelevant. He got a direct blessing from Jesus mm-hmm. because Jesus was there to bless him directly. He's not here to bless us directly. He he blesses us through the instructions of his word and compliance with the conditions of pardon that are re- revealed in the scriptures. We can still be forgiven, yeah. but we're going to have to now meet the terms of the will. The, the, the conditions are different now. Yeah, exactly right. Kyle, any thoughts? No, y'all covered it. All right. So that's objection number two. Let's go to number three. What we're doing here is we're looking at at some objections to baptism that have been compiled by author Dave Miller. If you take the time to go to Dave Miller's article, and, and the link is in the update that we sent out earlier today, uh, if you go to that, if you go to that link, you'll be able to read his observations. We very much agree with what we're saying because he, he he agrees with us that these are are basically invalid objections to baptism, but they're worth discussing. Number three, before we go ahead, uh, I wasn't okay. keeping up with the screen here. Brian in California basically agrees with what he said. Jesus had the power to forgive sins during his earthly ministry. The requirements for remission of sins in the New Testament is by baptism. And Jesus is the testator, and his will and testament is in full effect. Exactly. So that's exactly what we were saying. Yeah. Good. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate it. Objection number three. The Bible says Christ stands at the door of your heart, and all we have to do to be forgiven of sin and become a Christian is to invite him into our hearts. I don't know that I've ever heard that worded exactly that way before, Monty. Uh, I, I've, I've heard people say you got to invite Jesus into mm-hmm. your heart. But, you know, to, to argue that Jesus stands at the door of your heart and all you have to do is open your heart, it's a little bit peculiar wording. And in the article that Dave Miller wrote, he observed that the only place that he could discover any wording similar to that in the New Testament is in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. In Revelation 3, verse 20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Now, that's a beautiful statement, of course, but you need to observe it in the context. And in Revelation chapter 3, in that context, the Lord was speaking to the church at Laodicea. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't speaking to people who never had become Christians. He was actually addressing those words to apostate Christians. The church at Laodicea was a dead church, and he's basically urging them to come back. He's inviting them to come back to repent and do the right things. And so if this is the verse upon which that objection is based, it's it's, it's a misuse of of the statement in its context. Well, again, it's not an apples-to-apples comparison because we're discussing baptism in order to be saved 
and these people are saying that they i mean he's there's just these people that this passage was talking about if that's what it was was already saved people that had been saved yeah. they just needed to correct their behavior uh but even at that uh it says that all we have to do to be forgiven of sin and become a Christian is to invite him into our hearts. Uh, I don't find that taught anywhere in the New Testament. I don't ever see about inviting Jesus into my heart in the, in the New Testament. So if, if I was going to have a doctrine on what I needed to do to be saved, I would like to be able to think that I could find it written down in the New Testament, and that's not in there. Let's, let's grant... Uh this as sort of a generic expression money mm-hmm. so to be saved you have to invite jesus into your heart okay what would what would that imply what would the statement imply i'm going to invite jesus into my heart but i'm not i re, i adamantly refuse to do what he asked me to do uh you know jesus himself taught baptism and in in the great commission in matthew chapter 28 verses 19 and 20 jesus said go ye therefore teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the holy ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever i've commanded you and lo i'm with you always even to the end of the world in mark's account of that in mark chapter 16 verse 16 Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. That's a verse we're going to look at a little bit more here Mm -hmm. in a minute. So I'm going to invite Jesus into my heart. But I don't tell you, I refuse. I mean, I steadfastly refuse to do what he asked me to do. How does does that match up? Well, it seems like I'm going to invite him into my heart as long as I only have to do what I want to do. Yeah. And, and so that's not really inviting him into my heart, because if I'm, if to use that phrase generically, as you said, if I'm really inviting him into my heart, then I'm accepting his terms. His, I'm saying, I understand you're the Son of God, that you have all power and authority on heaven and earth, as he said he did, and so I've got to do what you tell me. Yeah. Well, as you said, Jesus said, repent and be baptized for forgiveness of your sins. Yeah. So I haven't really invited him into my heart if I'm not willing to comply with his conditions. I think that's exactly right. So again. In answer to that objection, the only, really that terminology is only found in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20, which which was actually addressing not people who'd never been baptized. It was actually addressing people who were Christians who had thus been baptized, mm-hmm. but they had fallen away. So, and again, the, it's not apples to yeah, apples comparison. And, We're talking and, about two different things. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, but But if you just want to use that expression in a broad, generic way, we just have to invite Jesus into our hearts. Okay. If you just, if, what, what would that imply? I think it would imply surrender, commitment, obedience. If I'm inviting Jesus into my heart, then I want my heart to be open to what he's telling me to do, not, not rebellious to his instructions. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I think that objection just really fails in a bad way. All right. <clears throat> um, we're about... Uh, time for a break, but let's let's mention objection number four, and we'll probably talk about this a good bit. A person is saved the moment he accepts Christ as his personal Savior, which precedes and therefore excludes water baptism. So, you you are you are saved when you again. Here's here's some terminology that is not biblical. No. You're saved when you accept Jesus as your personal Savior. And that precedes and therefore excludes baptism. 
I, I'm not aware of any place in the New Testament that says accept Jesus as your personal Savior. Uh, what does, and so since that's not a biblical expression, we wonder how would that be done? You know, how, how do I accept Jesus as my personal Savior? Does, is it just totally a mental process? Does it require me saying something or doing something? You know, do, uh, do, do, I, do I need to tell others? Or I, I, I don't know how to do that because it's not, it's not lined out for us in the Scripture. Well, there's that. And using, going back to the example you had about you're going to give me a million dollars, and I'm holding you to that, by the way. Uh, <laughs> when, I get, when we go gold panning and I get that bucket full of gold, I'll, okay. give, I'll give you a million. But still, if you said you've got to show up at the house in the morning at 9 o'clock and I'll give you a million dollars, I accept you as my personal benefactor in that, that you're going to do that. But if I don't show up, I don't get the money. Yeah. So whatever is my benefactor, whatever terms or conditions you've set on that for me to receive that gift have to be met in order for me to get it. It don't matter how in my heart I accept it that you would do it. Uh, if we went gold panning again and found it, I accept that you would do it. I have total faith that you'd keep your word in the matter, but we don't have it yet. Yeah. So we've some kind of conditions have to be met in order to get it. And so to say I accept Christ as my personal Savior, it doesn't exclude our water baptism because that's a condition that Jesus has set on it. Yeah. We're going to look at an example when we get back of, of, of the uh, Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul, and his conversion. I think his conversion points out clearly that there's more to it than just accepting Jesus as your personal Savior or otherwise. Mm-hmm. There's more to it that you have to, some, some actual deeds that you must do in order to demonstrate your obedience to Christ. We'll talk about that when we get back. We're going to take a break. Stick with us. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. Hi, my name is Bob Tidwell, and I want to remind you that the Virtual Bible Study provides a great opportunity to use your computer for something good. So turn off the TV and guide your family around the computer each Thursday night for the Virtual Bible Study. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. What parent is there that has not been amused to watch their toddlers try to imitate the things they've seen? Little girls want to cook like mom, and boys would love to work on a car like dad does. It's fun to watch. There's a frightening side to this, too. Our kids continue to imitate us even when they get older. No longer is it little Susie trying to wear mom's shoes or Johnny awkwardly wielding dad's hammer. It soon becomes an adolescent who follows all the examples, both good and bad, that have been evidenced by the parents. Dad, do you have a bad temper? Do you speak harshly and in unkind manner to your wife? Do you lie, cheat, curse? Mom, do you resent your duties as a wife and mother? Do you have trouble being submissive to your husband? Do you get angry without cause? Surely you see our point. No doubt you've thought of all these things many times before. The simple fact is this. We are teaching our children mighty lessons by means of the examples we set before them. And there's no area more influenced by these considerations than our children's spiritual development. Many parents have grown to regret their own negligence in serving God when they saw their children begin to imitate their own indifference and apathy. Christian parent, how's your example? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3:17. Now back to the program. 
Then we're back on the virtual Bible study. I want to remind you that the virtual Bible study is brought to you each week on Thursdays at uh, 8 o'clock Central Time by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Church Christ, uh, the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee is located at 1618 Hampshire Pike. That's on the west side of Columbia, and we're right across from Columbia State Community College, which is the largest community college in the state of Tennessee. And we are literally right across the highway from the, the community college, and thus we are College View, I suppose. I wasn't here when they named the congregation, but I assume that's where the name Sounds came, logical, at least. came from. I think they may have been like, that's a good place for a college, you know. Right you think we were here first? And, yeah, <laughs> we, we, we're here, we had a name, and so. they built the college later. No, that's not. Uh, Way it happened. Uh, but actually, if you are in our area and you're not familiar with our location, there's signs all over the place pointing to Col- uh, Columbia State Community College. And if you follow the signs of the college, you'll find College View. But anyway, uh, easy to find on the west side of Columbia College View Church of Christ. We'd love for you to come and visit with us if you're in the Middle Tennessee area. If you live in our uh, vicinity, by all means, please come and visit us. If you just happen to be passing through, we'd love for you to come uh, and see us. Uh, you can find out all the pertinent information about our meeting times and our location on our website at College View. Remember, College View is spelled funny, C-O-L-L-E-G-E-V-U-E, collegeview.com. Check that out. There's also uh, lots of teaching material available on that website. Kyle is our webmaster, and he keeps a – well, I I, I don't even call you a webmaster – Kyle, you're our video master. Kyle is the one who keeps our YouTube channel updated. Uh, Kyle, we got we got a lot of content there. Yeah, we can. It's a wealth of information to add to your Bible study, and which you know it should already be strong anyway. But you can add this right to it. So, so. yeah, we yeah. got Kyle does a good job keeping our videos. We have we have typically on a typical week we'll have. Two sermons up there on our YouTube channel, and we'll have two Bible classes. Um, right now, we're studying the books of Hebrews on Sunday morning and the book of Ephesians on Wednesday night. And Kyle's got playlists uh, for both of those Bible studies that, that are a verse-by-verse study of both of those important books and lots of uh, sermon topics. There's a tremendous amount of archival information there and then of course you can go to our other website and they are linked obviously but uh, the virtual bible study.com and we we've got over 16 years worth of archived programming on the virtual bible study.com literally almost every imaginable subject uh if you're studying something and you need some help or would just like some other in, uh, uh input to your study Look there uh, on the virtualbiblestudy.com. But if you're in our area, we encourage you, please come and visit with us at the College View Church. We're talking about 13 objections to baptism that have been uh, compiled by author Dave Miller. We're talking about objection number four. A person is saved the moment he accepts Christ as his personal Savior, which precedes and therefore excludes water baptism. I think the conversion of Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 9 is a really great study in this regard, Monty, because I think there's no doubt that he, he acknowledged Jesus on the road to Damascus. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, it says, 
in Acts 9, verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to prick to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. So notice, I think you'd, I cannot imagine that anybody would attempt to deny that he was, that he developed faith in Christ at that moment. He saw and spoke to Jesus, uh, on the road, uh, and he, he called him Lord and asked, what will you have me to do? Now, and when it, Jesus identified himself as Jesus, he didn't argue, no, no, Jesus, he's crucified and dead, and that, that, ain't, that can't be it. He, there was no argument whatsoever. Yeah. And so, really, if this position is true, Jesus, when, he, when, when Saul of Tarsus said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Jesus should have said, well, nothing. It's all took care uh, the of. fact that you just acknowledged me as your Lord is enough. You've done it. That's all you have to do. But he said, no, go into the city and it'll be told thee what thou must do. Well, he went on into the city. In fact, he was blinded by this mm-hmm. event. He had to be led by the hand into the city. He fasted and prayed for three days. The Lord sent a man by the name of Ananias to him. Uh, and this Ananias said to him when he arrived, we know this from Acts twenty two sixteen, Paul retelling the story in Acts twenty two sixteen, when Ananias, the Lord sent Ananias to Saul, and when Ananias came, he said, Acts twenty two sixteen, now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So he still had his sins. Still in his sins. He 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 believed in the Lord Jesus, called him Lord, asked, "What should I do?" And followed the instructions he was given up to that point. And and Jesus said, "It'll be told you what you must do." Mm-hmm. And Ananias mm-hmm. said, "Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sin." So it was something he had to do. He was still in his sins. He was a believer in Jesus. He acknowledged Jesus as Lord. He was not saved until he was baptized. And so this statement, a person is saved the moment he accepts Christ as his personal Savior, which precedes and therefore excludes water baptism, that's not a true statement. It just simply can't be true. If, if, if that statement was true, the biblical account of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus is completely off base. Yes. Or vice versa. Yeah. And I think it's vice versa. Well, it, as we read that statement, that, that account of Saul... He seen Jesus on the road, believed in who he was, but still had to go have instruction by a man. I mean, I think it's important that we understand there, and just this may be off topic just slightly, but the only other account that we have where there was divine intervention for someone would be in the conversion of uh, Cornelius. Cornelius. And even that, the divine instruction didn't tell him what they had to do to be saved. He was told, go send for Peter, and he'll tell you what you got to do. Saul was told going into Damascus, and I'll send somebody to tell you what you've got to do. But in either case, it was after instruction from someone else, and the instruction in both cases included baptism. Yeah, I think that's right. I, th- I think it's just really plain. But that now that, that objection number four, uh, a person is saved the moment he accepts Christ as his personal Savior. That's a very common view. That mm-hmm. is a very common objection. You just have to accept Christ as your personal Savior. You would think as often if you hear that, it would be at least on every other page of the New Testament. <laughs> yeah, and we can't find it anywhere. Exactly right. 
All right, let's go on to. Have we got any comments in the chat room? Uh, you know, I'll tell you something that I have been doing here, and I didn't mean to do it, but I have been completely missing. A number of emailers. My apologies, guys, for for not including your comments because I got a lot of good ones. Let me look, look, before we pass from this objection number four, uh, and I'm not going to back up to catch the ones I missed. Apologies, guys, for not getting to these. But uh, Chris, our friend Chris in Atlanta, we haven't heard from Chris in a while. Great to hear from you, uh, Chris. Uh, he says concerning this statement, a person is saved the moment he accepts Christ as his personal Savior. He said, I would need to see book, chapter, and verse that say this. I, he said, I can't find that in my Bible. Mm-hmm. And I think he's exactly right on that. Uh, Kent in Calhoun, Georgia says, John one twelve does teach that one must accept Christ in order to be saved. However, the passage teaches that accepting Christ or believing on him gives one the authority to become a Christian. One cannot become what they already are. Therefore, while the element of faith is essential to salvation, such is not sufficient. One's faith must lead them to repentance, Acts 17, verse 30, confession of one's faith, Romans 10, verse 10, and baptism for the remission of sins, Acts 2, 38. Nowhere in, uh, in the passage is repentance, confession, baptism excluded, Faith is rather a condition of those additional acts of obedience. And so faith leads us Mm -hmm. to engage in those other acts of obedience. Uh, Jim up in Kentucky says, there's no place in the scripture where such a concept is taught that one is saved the moment they accept Christ as their personal savior. Um, Unless that moment is after they have heard the gospel, believed Jesus to be Christ, confessed him as Christ, repented of their sins, and then been baptized for the remission of sins. And Grant in Franklin, Tennessee says, we know that baptism washes away sin. Ananias stated to Saul, now why do you delay? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name, Acts twenty-two sixteen. From this verse, we know that we are still in our sins prior to being baptized. They have not yet been washed away. Isaiah goes on to state that, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, Isaiah 59.2. So you are still in your sin and or, and or iniquities, and therefore you are separated from God. And I think that's exactly right. Apologies, guys. I forgot all about those emails I had. You got any additional comments? In the uh, not, not really related to this yet. Okay. Uh, right. Something that came to my mind as you was reading that, uh, Jesus said when talking about faith that the Jews had said, uh, you say there's one God, you do well. He said, but even the demons believe and tremble. So these statements that we've been looking at are implying that, or especially this one, is basically that at the moment of your belief in Jesus, you're saved. The devil believes in Jesus. The devil has seen and personally had talks with Jesus. He knows who Jesus is without exception. We read repeatedly when Jesus was casting demons out, he he forbid them to speak because they were confessing him, that they knew who he was, but they're not going to heaven. Well, there's no indication at all that they have an opportunity to go to heaven. So just belief doesn't fix anything for you. We even read that a lot of the Pharisees believed in Jesus, but they wouldn't confess him because they didn't want to get put out of the synagogue. So they weren't. Apparently, according to that idea taught, that they weren't saved people either. Yeah, yeah, John, so, John twelve forty two. among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. So it takes more than belief, um, uh, even an actual mental assent and knowledge that this information is correct to be saved. And these statements is saying that all I got to do is say I believe in Jesus you know, when I accept that into my heart that Jesus is the Son of God, then I'm saved. Well, 
Jesus didn't know that, obviously. The demons didn't know that. The devil didn't know that. So that's just really, I think, soundly refuted by the scriptures. Exactly right. All right. Um, we're going to go quickly to number five, objection number five. And this one, is, uh, the way it's worded is a little curious to me, Monty. We are clothed with Christ and become his children when we place our faith in him. Now, I'm, I'm, a, I'm just a little bit puzzled by that expression. Uh, and, uh, and I'm not sure how I would address it, so I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to these emails that I've been neglecting and see what our emailers said about that. Chris in Atlanta says we are clo- uh, Actually, Galatians 3.27 states that when you are baptized into Christ is when you put on Christ. Mm-hmm. That's good, really good, Chris. So clothed with Christ, you, we are clothed with Christ and become his children. Well, Galatians 3.27 says you're baptized into Christ. That's when you put on Christ. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good tie in there. Uh, Kent says one is not clothed in Christ by believing while indeed one must believe in Christ to be saved, Galatians 3.27 affirms that one is clothed in Christ by baptism. He uses the same verse. Mm-hmm. Good. Galatians 3.27. While faith uh, in John 1.12 is described as that of accepting and or receiving, it is only in baptism that one clothes oneself uh, or puts on Christ. Uh, uh, Jim in, in, in uh, Kentucky mentions the same verse. These guys are all on the same page. I, I was drawing a blank on that, but I think they're exactly right. The scriptures teach that the only way to be clothed in Christ is to be baptized into him. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. Uh, Grant says... Uh, uh, Galatians 3.27 answers the objection. It states, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. In order to be clothed with Christ, we must be baptized. So I think those guys got the answer to that one. Mm-hmm. I was a little puzzled. They took care little, of us that time. Yeah, they saved us that time because I was a little puzzled by what that meant exactly. But Galatians 3.26 and 27, that's the, that's the verse to, to go to. All right, we're going to grab our last break. And when we come back, we'll go to the top of the hour. We're talking about 13 objections to baptism and why they are all wrong. Stick with us on the Virtual Bible Study. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The Virtual Bible Study will be right back after this. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile, in South America, and I love to listen to the Virtual Bible Study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Gracias. We're tracking the trends on the Virtual Bible Study. In a recent Australian study, just under half, 44%, of children ages 9 through 16 who were surveyed had encountered sexual images within the last month. The use of pornography by adolescents is associated with stronger permissive sexual attitudes, that is, premarital sex and casual sex. There's evidence that exposure to pornography can increase the likelihood of earlier first-time sexual experience as well. That information is via the Australian Institute of Family Studies. The Word of God says in Job 31, verse 1, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And we're back on the virtual Bible study. Going to the top of the hour, we're looking at 13 objections to baptism compiled by Dave Miller. We're not going to get done, obviously. And so, Lord willing, we're going to carry this study over to next week. But we'll get in as much as we can. We're on objection number six. And here's the way this objection is worded. Baptism is like a badge on a uniform 
that merely gives evidence that the person is already saved. Now, again, Monty, I've never heard it worded that way, but but I think what's being said there is what I've heard expressed this way, that baptism is an outward sign Mm -hmm. of an inward grace. And so the inward grace is that by God's grace, I have been saved. When I believed I was saved, that happened inwardly. And now I'm baptized after the fact to show that I have been saved. It's an outward sign of an inward grace. That, I think, is the common way that a lot of people express that. What do you think about that? Well, something that I thought of as we was talking about this, it's like a badge on a uniform. A policeman has a badge on his uniform. When he walks up, I can see that badge that he that shows, indicates that he's authorized to do certain things as far as enforcing the law goes. You can't see that I was ever baptized. Uh, you, at, least, at least not after a few minutes when you finally dry off. Yeah. Uh, I can't see that you were ever baptized. I wasn't there when it happened, when you were baptized. Now, your actions since then would suggest to me that you have been, and you and you would tell me that you have been if I ask. So I accept that you have been, but it's not a badge. It's not It's not an ongoing perpetual sign that, that I've been saved. It was a one-time act. And when it was done, it was done. And like you said, after I dried off, nobody can see that anymore. There's lots of people that are really good moral people that would demonstrate maybe all the most of the characteristics that we do as Christians, but they've never been baptized, so they're not saved. But in their actions, we can't see that. So yeah. baptism isn't a badge on a uniform. It's not just a sign that I've been saved. It's not an outward sign of inward grace. It's an act of obedience to God's will. Yeah. All of this goes to, of course, that that objection is is also based in the false view that we've talked about already tonight, that one is saved at the point of faith, Mm -hmm. and that's just not true. I mean, there's no there's no way to prove that you're saved when you believe. Certainly, faith is an essential part, and it leads you to do the other required conditions. Mm Well, if you don't have faith, you're not. There's no reason for you to do the other things. Exactly, but but in faith, then we're going to repent of our sins, confess our faith in Jesus, and be baptized for the remission of sins. In Acts two thirty eight, and there's going to be more discussion of Acts two thirty eight here in, uh, as as these questions roll on through. But Peter said, "Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost." He, he didn't say repent. And be baptized in order to show that you have been saved. Mm-mm. He said, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. So if I have to repent, and, and this is kind of interesting, Monty, because most everybody agrees, I got to repent mm-hmm. in order to be saved, to be forgiven. But the, those words are linked by the important conjunction and repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. If I have to repent for the remission of sins, I have to be baptized for the remission yeah. of sins. But notice, it is in order, and, and the Greek word there, and we'll talk more about this in a subsequent question that we're coming up on, but the word for, the repent for the remission, it's from the Greek word ice. That's how we say it. It is spelled, it's, it, it, the anglicized spelling of that Greek word is E-I-S, ice. And it means 
in order to, unto. So repent and be baptized unto the remission of your sins. It's Remission of sins is over there, and baptism stands between me and it. Mm-hmm. And if I want to get there, if I want to get unto the remission of sins, i got to be baptized. It, it, it is not to show what has already happened. It's in order to make that happen. It's in order to, to accomplish that. It is for the remission of sins. So Acts 2.38 is a really important uh uh, verse in that regard, and then we could go back to what, again what Jesus said in Mark sixteen verse sixteen. Jesus said, uh, "He that well, the pages are sticking together here." Jesus said, uh, "He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned." Again, there's that conjunction and that joins belief and baptism. Belief, he that believeth. And is baptized shall be saved. It doesn't say he that believeth is saved and should be baptized later to show it. That's just exactly mm-hmm. not what that verse says. Yeah, it's exactly this. This objection is exact opposite of what Jesus indicated needed to happen. Yeah. Let's look at our emailers. And again, apologies, email guys. And I've got some and, and these guys have gone to the trouble of answering all 13. And I'll, I'll tell you right now, I will save these pages and do a better job next week of getting to your answers. Um, Gray, or Chris says, Chris in Georgia says, uh, concerning this statement, baptism is like a badge on a uniform that merely gives evidence that the person is already saved. Chris says, again, I would need to see book, chapter, and verse on that. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible, and I don't either, Chris. Uh, Kent in Georgia says, nowhere in the New Testament is baptism referred to as a badge or uniform of one's already being saved from sin or being a Christian. Such a doctrine is a perversion of truth. Jim in Kentucky says there's no place in the scripture where baptism is likened unto a badge. It is likened unto a place of safety, as in 1 Peter 3, 20 and 21. If baptism is merely a token, then why did Jesus send his apostles to teach the gospel and tell them that if any were not baptized, they could not be saved? Mark 16, 16. Grant in, in Franklin says... If this is the case, that baptism is like a badge, if this is the case, then baptism would be because we already have our sins forgiven. But baptism is not because our sins have been forgiven, but in order that they may be forgiven. Peter states in Acts 2.38, repent and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. The verse clearly teaches that baptism is for the forgiveness of our sins and not because our sins are already forgiven. And I think that's exactly right. These guys are right on the mark. I think we got time for one more of these objections, Monty, and we'll hold the others over till next week. Objection number seven. Oh boy, this is this is this is a common one, Monty. An objection offered is that baptism is a meritorious work, whereas we are saved by grace and not works. And so the argument is that if you if you're saying you've got to be baptized, then you're saying that somehow you're earning your salvation by doing work. Well, first of all, I, I, to me, it's curious that that's regarded as a work. I, I, I don't see how baptism is a work. Uh, maybe if you said, you know, you've got to go uh, feed uh, a, a thousand hungry people or something like that, maybe I could say, well, yeah, that, that sounds like work. But being baptized, I, I've always wondered how, how that 
really constitutes any sort of work. The, this argument is based upon Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 8, beginning, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we're saying, so first of all, we agree. We're saved by grace through faith. Absolutely. It is not of ourselves. It is not of works. Notice what kind of works he has reference to. Not of works, lest any man should boast. In other words, he says it's not, salvation is not based on the works whereby you, Monty, could say, look at me. Look how much I've done. Look look what a good, great person I am, how much I've accomplished. God has to save me because I have earned it. I merit my salvation. Nobody can merit their salvation. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't, there, there's no kind of works the kind of which you could boast about and say, I've earned my salvation. You know, as far as works goes, the works that I owed God from the moment of my conception was to live a sinless life. I owed that. That's a debt that I owed God. It wasn't, I, that still wouldn't earn me anything. It just, if I had lived a sinless life, would have meant that I hadn't been disqualified from heaven yet, yeah. from going to heaven. But it didn't earn me anything. There's no works that I can do to earn. So am I saved by grace? Yes, because by God's grace, he devised and put into place a plan that I could be saved. And, and, and he provided the, the, the atoning sacrifice yeah. of his own son. So the works that save me is the work that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit have done in order to accomplish my salvation. They did the works that would that would get me saved. But I do have work to do. Uh, in the book of James, James said, if you say you have faith, fine. He said, I'll show you my faith by my works. Works are required by me. And baptism, by I guess you'd say the scientific definition, is work. I have to physically move my mass up into the water, and, and someone like yourself would have had to physically immerse me in the water and brought me back up. So technically, yeah, that is a function of work by the scientific so definition, was, but it's not a work that earned me anything. Yeah. It's, it's just an a work action. of obedience. It's an action that you have to engage yeah. in, and there is work. In other words, you're expending some calories mm-hmm. when you do that. We understand. But But you know what's interesting is Jesus said, in John 6, verse 29, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. Jesus said faith is a work. Yeah. Certainly repentance requires effort on our part. I've always made the point confession is a physical act. Yeah, it's a, you, just like being baptized. You is. know, when I, when I construct and say the words, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, when I make that confession... I have actually expended some calories. You've accomplished work. I have, you know, I have to force the air out of my lungs and pass my voice box and out my lips. I actually, it's probably not very much because if you could burn a lot of calories by talking, we wouldn't we be have a, it made. we wouldn't be as big as we are, money. <laughs> but but there's actually some expending of calories there to mm-hmm. say I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and so in that sense, it's a work, but. The, it's not a meritorious work, mm-hmm. and that's the thing that we have so much trouble getting people to understand. Baptism is not a meritorious work. The only kind of works that are excluded, the only kind of works that, that Paul said you can't be saved by is works wherein you think you're earning your salvation. Mm-hmm. You could boast about it. We're not boasting about it. And and the fact of the matter is you could be baptized a thousand times, and it would never save you if it was just that act. Yeah. It's only because it's like what Peter said in first Peter chapter three, 
verse 21, when he says the like figure wherein to even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who makes it, it work. And if Jesus hadn't been resurrected from the dead, you'd go through that act. Uh, it wouldn't it, matter. It wouldn't, it wouldn't even matter. We're just about out of time. Real quickly, let me go to these emailers. Uh, Chris says, by God's grace, we are saved when we are obedient to God. God has given specific instructions on how to be placed into the body. Kent says, uh, nowhere in the scriptures is baptism referred to as a work of merit. New Testament baptism is a work of faith. Mark 16, 16, Hebrews 5, verse 9. Certainly one is not saved by works of merit, not by the law of Moses, or by human invention. However, faith is a work, John six twenty nine. If one is not saved by any type of work, then one is not saved by faith, because faith itself is a work, Jesus said. Jim in Kentucky says, we are truly saved by grace, but the scriptures also teach that works are a part of that grace. Uh, he, he, he begins quoting in James two seventeen. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Seest then how faith wrought with works, and by works has has, was faith made perfect? If one suggests that baptism is a work, then so too is hearing, believing, confessing, and repentance. All are acts which one must engage in order to be saved. If one suggests that baptism was work, where can you find such a definition in Scripture? And then we've got Grant in Franklin, Tennessee, who references the, the, the Ephesians 2.8. Uh, you've been saved by faith. Not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. This verse teaches we're saved by grace through faith. Grace refers to everything that God has done for us, and faith stands for everything man has done in obedience to God. When speaking of works, I would ask the question, by what type of works are you referring? Are we talking about works of men by which someone is trying to earn his salvation? I would agree that this type of work does not save. But notice John six twenty nine. Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. We see and hear that belief or faith is a work, but it is a work of God. All would agree that faith is necessary to be saved. With the same reasoning, repentance, confession, and baptism would be necessary in order to be saved. So we're not saved by the works of men, but by the works of God. Correct. All good answers. Great answers. We are out of time. Uh, Monty, we could talk probably all night, uh, even on that one question, yeah. uh, because it is so commonly brought up. But hopefully we've we've touched that base and we, we'll move on. Lord willing, next week uh, uh, we'll get to the other six. We covered seven of 13, so we got six left. Lord willing, we'll pick those up next week. To all of you who so faithfully sent in your, your well-thought-out responses, I will save those, uh, and uh, we will include those in our study next week. If you haven't had a chance to get your responses in, start with number eight, and uh, Lord willing, we'll pick up our discussion with objection number eight next week. Kyle, final thoughts? Yeah, it's a good study. I think we're we're seeing men's rationalizations for not accepting God's plan in baptism, so it's yeah. just... It's, Exactly. Good study. Yeah, I think I like your word rationalization because that's what it is. All right. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks for your work. Monty, thanks for being with us tonight on the Virtual Bible Study. Thank you all for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Lord willing, we'll be back here same time, same place next Thursday night. Plan to join us as we continue this study of baptism. Until then, read and study your Bible every day. Live by it. You'll never regret it.
Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.